Hello, everyone watching and listening. Good morning from North Carolina, and welcome back to the Free Radical Podcast, episode number five today. And this is your host, Swami Patmanava. <clears throat> I'm here today, very happy to be in the company of a dear friend, esteemed elder, Archon City, Dasi, Archon City. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for <clears throat> inviting me to be on the podcast, Maharaj. Thank you. So let me begin our podcast today sharing a few words of Artemis City, a brief bio of hers. It says like this, <clears throat> Artemis City joined the Gaudiya Sampradaya in 1976, spending the next 12 years living in the temple ashram in Potomac, Maryland. After the breakup of her first marriage, she returned to graduate school and got her master's degree in clinical social work. She remarried in 1990 to Karnamrita Das, who shared her interest in helping devotees with psychological, emotional, and relational issues that were hindering their progress on the path of bhakti. They were one of the first couples to help create the Grihastha Vision team, which provided knowledge, skill building, and counseling for the Grihastha Ashram. Both Archana Siddhi and Karnamrita talked over 100 seminars together wrote numerous articles, counseled hundreds of couples, organized couples retreats, and authored several books, some of which are Heart and Soul Connection, A Devotional Guide to Marriage, Service, and Love, The Passion of a Marriage Challenge, and a recent book, Archonacy, the author with Pranada, When Illness Takes Hold, Hopeful Words for Sadhakas. So before I forget, let me share with you one link for those who will be interested in knowing more about the work of Archana City as well as the Grihastha Vision team, which is for those who are only listening, Vaishnava without H, Vaishnava family resources.org. So, on a personal level, I, I got to meet Archana City a few years ago. I don't know how, how many of them, but probably like six or seven years ago, I think. And uh, as well as her dear husband, Karnamrita Prabhu, and a host of other friends that in time, uh, well, basically came to become part of my inner circle and dear family. Our Tennessee is one of those team close sisters and friends and elders. And a long time we have been going through very interesting experiences and dynamics together and, and sharing, <clears throat> having, at least in my opinion, very profound moments of talking with one another and sharing our hearts and sharing reflections and trying to figure out what what's Christian consciousness about or what we are about in the midst of that. <laughs> so I personally feel very blessed, very fortunate to to be in his company, to be in his be considered part of her inner circle as well. Uh, so he is invited today, this month that we are starting August. My mm. my plan is to invite different Vaishnavis different ladies uh, who practice Vaishnavism, in this case, to, to my podcast. So, Archana City, let me begin by asking you why you are so kind to accept my invitation, why you considered uh, important joining uh, in this discussion, and, and, and in this connection, what, what radical personalism uh, is to you? Yeah, thank you, Maharaj. Um, 
Well, the main reason was because you asked me and I value you greatly as a friend and a mentor. And I couldn't say no. Although yesterday, last night, I was thinking, why didn't I say no? <laughs> too late, sorry. <laughs> it was too late. So um, you got me. So personalism, yeah, radical personalism. Um, I think for me, you know, it's kind of, well, it starts philosophically of understanding that Krishna is the supreme personality of Godhead and mm. we're all his part and parcels. And so our connection is with a person and, and that's our goal of life. And mm. we have this field of people that we interact with and they're also all parts and parcels of that same source. And if we treat them as if they're objects and we, we treat them as they're just something to exploit, then that's the, mo that's the greatest impersonalism. So personalism to me means the kindness and, and, and being there for people and sharing your heart with people and having affection for people and and seeing them for their core value, which is spiritual instead of this as the body. This is a man, a woman, black, white, gay, straight, all the different designations which divide us and keep us very impersonal from each other. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you. I, I'm always amazed by, by hearing other people's uh, experience or, or idea of radical personalism I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking about a few days ago i was we, we did a very beautiful retreat in michigan with deva madhav prabhu and jai jagannath prabhu and hosts of 30 devotees and the, the retreat was basically revolving revolved around the topic of radical personalism it was called the radical personalism retreat <laughs> so it was funny because it was beautiful Jai Jagannath began asking, like, okay, what's radical personalism for you? At the end of this retreat, he invited everyone. Hopefully, you have some definition of it. So in our last meeting, there was the different members of the retreat were, were sharing their idea. What's radical personalism for them? And I was amazed because I, I'm supposed to be the author of a book called Radical Personalism. You know? <laughs> but, but I'm hearing all this incredible uh, realizations and and, and and experiences of what's radical personalism for each person and it's just widening and expands for me the idea of radical personalism so I'm completely humbled and amazed to realize how little I know of radical personalism although I wrote the book with that title and, and I'm so yeah blessed by hearing other people like you sharing their own experience of that so thank you, you so do much. you want to share a highlight of one of those one of those sharings that you heard oh oh, oh of one of those sharings there mm -hmm. well to be honest in this, this precise moment no specific like because Jai Jagan invited them to to succinctly define radical personalism kind of in sutra way and as you may know already, I'm not very good for conciseness. <laughs> so probably my memory doesn't work to remember those sutra-like definitions. <laughs> it's recorded, so I'll try to get that. But but in, in in general, it was a lot about. I mean, it was a lot about what you shared, a lot about like 
how to say, many of them were like, okay, radical personalism is about being yourself. That was pretty succinct. But of course, that came after a two-day retreat with lots of sharing and lots of vulnerability and lots of... So the, the phrase being yourself has a completely different meaning after those two days mm -hmm. than just saying, be yourself. It may sound like cliche, mm -hmm. like naive or whatever. But actually, when you go through certain experiences together with some people in an immersive experience like the retreat we had, be yourself means like, okay, way more than what you thought. So it was kind of, of that for me, like these classical words or phrases that we hear, we may repeat, but after certain experiences, it's like, wow, this has a completely uh, different meaning for me now. What does it mean to be yourself and how much we need to go back to those expressions, basically? What does it mean, as you mentioned, God is the supreme personality of God? We say that so many times, but what does it mean? What's implications of relating to that? No, we are person, what's implications of that? So, so anyhow, I appreciate that. And, and, and of course, in connection to today's topic, I, I think your definition goes hand by hand because it's so much tied with how we relate uh, between each other, how we relate with not only with Krishna, but with everything since everything is connected to Krishna. And that's the title for today's episode, which is the title Arjuna City Suggested after I rejected the first option. <laughs> <laughs> mm. uh, so the, the title is Strengthening the Bonds That Free Us. Mm. So that's a very interesting title. And of course, it, it plays with the words that apparently generally we are accustomed that the bond is not freeing us, but it's entangling us. But there is a bond that can free us if we strengthen it. Mm. So I, I personally agreed with her title and thought that will be this is an ideal topic for, for Arjuna City because of her life experience and how her life experience has revolved around this crucial topic, not only of family counseling, as we already read in his bio, her bio, but also relationships, uh, which, again, our Bhakti project is ultimately all about relationships. So I'd like to begin, uh, after this brief introduction, sharing, as usual, the brief, a brief section from Radical Personalism, um, corresponding with today's topic, which is in part two of the book, The Manifesto. And in this connection, we'll be connected with one of the many radicals of that section called Radical Correlation. For those who have the book, would like to go more in detail, it's page 110. So it says like this, a big neglect of an erosion in the social fabric of the Gaudiya community has become more and more apparent throughout the last decades. This is evident from parenting to caring, from elders and everything in between, including toxic ways of relating to earning and spending. Each of these domains needs to be dealt with for what they are, potential sacred ingredients of our spiritual project. We call this radical correlation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this above section inspired and the title for today's episode. Of course, this section includes many things, not only relationships and how we relate, not only with elders, but with young people, how we accompany each other in different stages of life, how we relate with earning and spending. So of course, each of these topics requires separate episodes in themselves. In themselves. So we'll try to focus today with Arjuna City in, in her area of expertise, which is, of course, relationships, but... Uh, 
I'd like to begin maybe sharing a few thoughts more in connection with what Archon City has been working on for many decades, which is also family counseling and and, and couples and, and Grihasta Ashram and experience of it. So but before me continuing talking about that, I talk a lot. Archon City is something you may like to share, some thoughts regarding what we have just read, whatever you may like to ask to share to begin with. Yeah, <clears throat> just to say that the title was actually a title that um, I came up with years ago, back in the 90s, for a seminar that my husband and I, one of the first seminars we ever did together. And it was for um, <clears throat> Anutama Prabhu, um, who, is a, who is one of the GBC and ISKCON, had arranged for a family and couples um, seminar. And... So that was the title that I came up with because we were seeing so much devastation in the Grahasta ashram of couples not being attached to each other because of being, you know, there had been such an um, emphasis on renunciation, not even getting married to begin with, you know, mm -hmm. that already that was, you had entered into the wrong door. And then if you did enter into that door, you sure as hell wanted to get out as fast as you could. And so, you know, I, I knew and, and still know, you know, devotees who are like just, you know, 50, I can take sannyas or 50, I can, you know, get out of this, you know, the, the, the deep, dark well. So, um, you know, it was like we were seeing that yeah, you're, you're in the Grahasta ashram or you're, pre you're not present in it. You're, you've entered it, but you haven't actually become part of it. And all the benefits and all that you can, all the, the advancement you, that this ashram affords you, you're missing out on it because you're not there. You mm. checked, you're totally checked out. So we were seeing this in so many of the couples we were working with and so that that was the title, and and I think I shared with you the the opening, the opening um, scene that we did with that. Sometime. You did, you did, but you didn't share with everyone else. So please, <laughs> again, second time. We need some hasiras to begin with. We need some hasiras, yeah. So we decided to do a skit of you know I, my husband and I did a skit together, and it was you know, a couple getting married and it's, you know, their wedding, it's their wedding night. And so the husband's like, okay, ready, you ready to go? And the wife is like, what do you mean ready to go? Well, you know, let's, let's, let's like, you know, let's consummate the marriage. What are you talking about? We're not ready to have children. Children, neither am I, but, but we're married now. Yeah, so... <laughs> So going back and forth that, you know, the, 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 the complete um, disconnect for the husband and the wife, the wife thinking, we don't have sex except for procreation. And the husband's thinking, well, of course, what do you mean we're not having sex except for procreation? And so this was underlying a lot of marriages in the early days. And it still is even today. There's, it's, it's gotten a lot better, but this idea of, you know, we can only have sex for children created so much um, 
discord in the marriages. It was, it was very sad, actually. And we were hearing, you know, I guess I also, you know, I had actually been married before I had a marriage that didn't work out, <clears throat> which was um, maybe in some ways a real blessing because it taught me a lot about what, what was missing in the Grahasta Ashram. And I really saw how, you know, I mean, I was also part of that disillusion of that marriage because I had very strict ideas about following that principle also. Mm -hmm. And um, so that did play a role in, <clears throat> in, in, the, in the demise of that relationship. So, um, yeah, so we, we were really seeing that this, this has to be addressed. And we were one of the first couples that started bringing that out into the open. And it was, it was hard, you know, it was like, a lot of guilt and shame around it and you know couples just you know falling down but then yeah feeling like i'm just i'm i had one couple tell me that they were leaving krishna consciousness they were becoming christians and this is what they said they said i'd rather be a good christian than a bad devotee mm. and that was really like really sad really sad hmm. Hmm. oh yeah thank you so for sharing and, and clarifying the the background to today's title hmm? for those who who didn't know in which direction we're we are planning to go or we, we we are open to go so lots of things you mentioned lots of things to that come to my mm -hmm. mind uh, if, <clears throat> I'd like to begin, if you allow me, in, in, in reply to your words, to share a few words in, in, the, in the idea of like debunking the myth, the false myth that Grihastha Ashram is, is necessarily inferior to any other ashram. Because as you mentioned, that's such an ingrained prejudice that makes, not only makes we monks proud, <laughs> that we are higher than all of you guys outside of our saffron, bubble <laughs> so to say. but also that and, and, and i think this is maybe even worse as you mentioned makes those who are entering that ashram or who really have the nature for embracing that ashram totally uh disappointed discouraged neurotic paranoid full of shame and guilt and, ent and entering a place thinking about when they will leave it or thinking this inferior so so I, I knew we were planning to go in this direction. So in advance and just picked a few quotes that I want to share, a few of them, just to show the members of our community how Grihasta Ashram is it's not inferior to begin with. It's an ashram. I mean, ashram, Sanyas Ashram, Brahmacharya Ashram. Whether you are married or not, you belong to an ashram. Ashram means shelter. So Grihasta Ashram is a particular shelter. Sanyas Ashram is another shelter, but a particular shelter won't be necessarily higher hmm, than other shelter or than one who chooses another shelter. It's still ashram, it's still shelter. And of course, there's lots of historical stuff that maybe we don't have time to go through today, but regarding why sometimes the, uh, we have an overestimated monastic superhero archetype, <laughs> uh, uh, that, that is coming in our tradition on some level. Um, 
which takes us to feel, okay, renunciation is necessarily superior when, when, when our path is not about renunciation. As Prabhupada said, Krishna consciousness is about, is the science of attachment, not the science of detachment. So how to be properly attached to everything with Krishna in the center. So, so one quote that comes to mind, and, and this comes from Srimad Bhagavatam, which is the main book for us, Gaudiya Vaishnava. So just for you to know that this is not something I'm bringing from my own creation. And here it is, I'm sharing it with you. You can check the verse for yourself. Verse 7, chapter 15, verse 67, which is almost the conclusion of one chapter uh, speaking about the duties of a married person. And it says, if a person worships the Lord with devotion, though he remains in the home, he can attain the supreme. In other words, you can attain the goal of life from the Grihastha Ashram. So I make this point because many times I've heard about this with this idea, as you mentioned, at 50, I have to take sannyas, no? like, like if by force. It's, I mean, if, if I do not do that, something inferior will happen. <laughs> but the Bhagavatam is saying, you're going to attain the goal from the Grihastha Ashram. For example, back a few more quotes, and with this I stop my, no, my shower of quotes, but just for you, for us to know how our own acharyas are supporting this idea. So back to Inotakur, I have many quotes, I'm sure it's just one of him. If the home is favorable for the devotee's devotional service, then he should not leave. For this reason, Srivas Pandit did not leave home. For a devotee, to remain a householder or a sannyasi is the same. In the sense of it's not higher or lower, whatever works better for one's bhakti, that's the best thing. And, and, and in that sense, it's the same. Of course, someone may say, well, that's what Bhaktinath Thakur is saying. He was a grihasta most of his life. But what a monastic will say. So we, I, I would like to conclude sharing a quote from Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, who was Bhaktinath Thakur's son, but he was a lifelong brahmachari, lifelong monastic. So we may think, okay, the monastics will be all for the saffron and so on and so forth. But Bhaktisiddhanta Thakur, Saraswati Thakur is saying, family life is favorable for devotees because when a devotee enters family life, he enters a temple. Hmm? Mm -hmm. so again, he's making this point very clear. It's an ashram. An ashram is a temple, so to say. It's a shelter. So a few quotes, sorry to, to share so many, but I think it was important to, for us to just have a glimpse. There are so many more about how both our Shastra, Bhagavatam, and our Acharyas are making this point very clear. I mean, Rihasta Ashram is not inferior. I mean, I remember Bhaktivinoda Thakur singing in Saranagati, whenever a devotee engages in bhajan at home, he says, that home becomes Golok. So just... To, to put it to the extreme, your house can become Golok Brindal. So if your house is, can, has the potential to become Golok, why you have to leave such a place? Why we have to leave Golok? <laughs> mm. So anyhow, what do you think about some of these quotes? Or some yeah, of I think they're, they're great quotes. And <clears throat> I guess one, one piece of it that um, when, when we talk about bond, strengthening bonds, we, mm. might want, we might think, well, what? you know, what are the bonds and bonds of affection, bonds of intimacy, bonds of um, shared purpose, spirituality. These are all bonds that <clears throat> go into to, to, to making a strong, united 
force and a protection because that's what you know ashram means to shelter protection for both mm -hmm. husband and the wife mm -hmm. so if we don't have if we have very weak bonds of affection and we don't want to take care of it if you don't care about something if you're not if you're not attached to it mm -hmm. you don't want to take care of it <clears throat> I was just thinking about the uh, example of somebody pu putting up a ba uh, Bhagavad Gita in class and it was all, you know, torn up and the pages were messed up. The binding was messed up and said, this is Krishna's Bhagavad Gita. And then he picked up a really nice, his Bhagavad Gita, which was all nice and pristine. And he said, this is my Bhagavad Gita. Hmm. So, so the idea of ownership turns something to gold. That, that was the point I think he was making. <clears throat> so this idea of ownership, of, of <clears throat> caring about something, and that, then we put the time and the effort into it because Grahasta life has a lot of sacrifice. It's a lot of, you know, when you have children and you're up in the middle of the night with a sick baby for days at a time, you know, it's, it requires that you have a lot of affection. And for people who would say, well, you know, you can be in Grahasta life, but don't get attached and don't have affection. I do have one quote that I want to share. It's the only yeah. quote that I that I brought to read because <clears throat> I yeah. love this. It's it's from Srila Prabhupada from the Srimad Bhagavatam um, 1842, and it's from a poor port. <clears throat> it says, to cut off the tie of all other affections does not mean complete negation of the finer elements like affection for someone else. This is not possible. A living being, whoever he may be, must have this feeling of affection for others because this is a symptom of life. The symptoms of life, such as desire, anger, hankerings, feelings of attraction, etc., cannot be annihilated so to oh, have life <laughs> so maybe maybe you can make some comments it's a beautiful quote yeah i already took note of the particular verse so i'll go through i wish i had known that one before i published my book to include it but somehow we will include <laughs> it somewhere else for sure <laughs> yeah it's it's a good one it's a really good one because yeah that's you know you hear that a lot too um you know, especially for men that, well, I don't want to get, I don't want to feel anything for my wife because then, yeah, I'll, I'll be too attached. And no, we need to, we, the only way out is through. We need to be attached in the Grahasta ashram. And if you have Krishna in the center of your ashram, then that attachment will be very, very favorable. Totally, totally agree. Yeah, a verse that comes to mind is, since we are, I, I won't quote it fully, but from Bhagavatam, for those who like this one verse that I learned some time ago and some decades ago, and it's one of my favorites, is in 10 Canto, chapter 25, verse 20. Mm -hmm. It says, Prashangam Ajaram Pasham Atmanakavayo Budu Bidhu Sayabhasadu Sukrito Moksha Dhuanam Apabritam, which basically plays with the word of <clears throat> Sangam or attachment and says, like, every person knows that. Attachment for the material is the greatest entanglement, 
But that same attachment, what applies to a sadhu or to a devotee, opens the door for realization. So it's the same idea. I mean, speaking about attachment and what to do yeah. with attachment. It's not saying attachment is bad in every single way, but attachment from an exploitative, selfish uh, way, place, that's unhealthy. But there is a place to be attached and to a devotee. And attached to a devotee doesn't mean only attached to your guru, attached to your senior temple president or whatever, but you can be attached to your wife or to your husband in the concept of being devoted to your kids uh, with Krishna in the center, like contextualizing, so to say, that attachment. Uh, and he's saying that's opening the doors to liberation, so to say. No? So it's not entangling at all. So, so, so it's all about, yeah, having the proper perspective. And I totally agree how much this functionality happens in the name of not being attached and which basically synonymous for some people do not feel anything, do not have emotions. And the problem is that our path is all about having feelings and emotions exactly. <laughs> and learning to relate with everything. And ultimately, as I like to emphasize, especially as Gaudiya Vaishnavas, our goal is not a lila, which means a lila which is fully divine, but also fully human. So we have to explore the full, the fullest, the fullness of our humanity as sadakas first, before we embrace the fullness of our humanity as perfected beings. So how can you attain that by neglecting emotions and neglecting feelings and becoming as detached as possible? <laughs> I mean, the, the goal of of our tradition is bhakti. The goal is not detachment. The means is not detachment either. So that's important for us. Detachment is the byproduct of our attachment. And that's what we always mention. By properly being attached to Krishna and to everything in connection to him, we yeah, we will we will be detached from a false sense of relating to everything. But we, yeah. ultimately we don't need to reject anything. And I, and I like the point you made, Archon City, on how Grihastha Ashram is so based in on sacrifice and on on self-forgetfulness in the sense that you cannot think too much about you because you have so many, you have to be with your baby and so many necessities. Uh, and, and that reminded me a few weeks ago, I visited <clears throat> Nam Rasa Prabhu and, mm -hmm. and Tulsi, his wife and the kids there in New Jersey. I stay a week in, in her house, basically. And, and I like to stay there for many reasons, of course. But one of the reasons for me is like I like to witness the, the demanding situation in which they are as the grihastas and how they choose to be there, of course. It's voluntary, so it's glorious. And how much they have to sacrifice themselves and how much they have to forget about themselves in order to dedicate to the necessities of service <laughs> in the ashram. So I was thinking, okay, me and Sanyasi do not have <clears throat> biological kids. Uh, so... But somehow or other, I have to learn to express that same level of dedication, sacrifice, and self-forgetfulness in my own way as a sannyasi. So these mm -hmm. guys are teaching me a very huge lesson because if I don't get that point, I can just enter monastic order as a way of evasiveness, of complacency, of mediocrity, of just attaching mm -hmm. to having an easy life, uh, lots of kijais. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true, yeah. So for me, it was like, okay, this is a great reminder. Uh, so, so I have to find my own way of dealing with that. You no, know, like I remember once, and with this, I, I conclude my words. 
I was in Argentina once giving a lecture, and at the end, I, I shared this a few times. Someone asked me, I, I gave the lecture, and someone raised their hand, and he told me, okay, you can talk about all the things which are very nice and so on, because you have time to study and read and meditate and do your stuff. And, and the guy was like, his voice was getting higher and higher and becoming more and more agitated. And then he told me, but I don't have time for any of those things because I have eight kids and I have to be all day working and attending them. And he was kind of complaining about that. Mm. And the only reply that came to my mind, of course, to begin with was, well, you chose to have those eight kids. No, I mean, take responsibility for your actions. And second, I immediately came, okay, I don't have any biological children, but in one sense, it's a sannyasi. I have another people that I take care of. And in one sense, they are children. And they are much more than the wise I can have biologically. <laughs> so if I try to accept sannyasi as a way of evading that, that, com that commitment, I made the wrong move, basically. <laughs> wow. yeah. So anyhow. <clears throat> and, I, and I do see you just taking care of so many devotees. It's it's actually amazing to me that. So it's, it's not about me. It's not about no, me. No, I know it's not about you, but I, I just, the only thing, I just had to say that because you do give a lot. You you sacrifice a lot to 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 um, minister to the needs of many, many Vaishnavas. And, and that's beautiful. And it's, um, yeah, you do have many children. Prabhupada said that. Prabhupada said, I left my, what, my three children that he had, or four children, I can't remember. And he said, and now I have hundreds of children, you know, hmm. because he was, he, and yeah. And I, you know, I feel also, you know, I have my biological child who I'm, I adore and my, my beautiful grandchild, you know, now. grandchild and, you know, my, my daughter-in-law, it's just, it's beautiful family. And I also have many devotees that I think of a family, you know, that I've worked with for years and that they are like children in, in the sense of the connection that we've developed and, you know, revealing one's mind and confidence in a, in a counseling situation is very, you know, and, 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 and you do that also in mentoring so many Vaishnavas, it becomes, it's, it's really an honor and a privilege to be led into people's lives like that and, and the connections that you can make. And it's a big responsibility. Yeah, yeah, totally. <clears throat> Probably, yeah, in my particular case, my attempt to to dedicate myself to others. I, I, again, I have to acknowledge that probably lots of that I learned from Grihastas. Mm. <laughs> How they, again, I, I remember talking with now Russ in New Jersey, going back to that situation, and he told me, in this situation, I have to be fully present in the present moment because I cannot just let my mind go too much to the future or to the past because my kids are there. I have to be present and attentive because some of them will have six months two years. So I cannot allow myself to, I have to be in the present, which is a very important thing that sometimes we, we are not very able to be in the, capable of being in the present. So it's a situation that forces you with full presence in the immediate moment. So I really was like, wow, I have to learn that skill way more. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I appreciate your words and I agree about the privilege of being led into the lives of other people. And of course, that's in one sense, that's the biggest commitment because I mean, you, you receive the key of someone's heart. And as, as I mentioned, 
that's very vulnerable. The person is opening the heart, is being basically naked in front of you with all transparency. And you can convert that in a moment of full empowerment or a moment of, of terrible abuse. No? So, yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. And I'd like to share a comment that came here in connection to what we are talking, Archon Cities, and sometimes we share some comments and continue mm -hmm. sharing to continue in this topic. So it's a comment from Madhu Mangal, Radha Kantadas. He says, yet in the early days, parents were encouraged at and at times forced to give up their children to the gurukuls to raise, to raise, while they were sent off to other states and countries to sell books. Thank God my parents refused to give me away. This caused irreparable damage to the parent-child relationship dynamic and also is a trainee why so many second-generation devotees suffer such trauma and heavy addiction issues that still have not been addressed? Mm. Oh. Uh, you, have, you have witnessed, I imagine, some of those situations, anything you yeah. like, sharing that connection? Sure, yeah. Um, I, I have not gone through so that chapter myself. So, Yeah, and I think that, that in, the be, in the beginning days of, you know, Prabhupada's mission, you know, we were... I mean, gosh, we were we were in our twenties, um, and our our leaders were maybe in their tw late twenties, maybe in their early thirties, you know. Mm. And we were trying to figure out how to, you know. I mean, of course, Prabhupada was still on the planet, but he was one person, and he had a lot of projects, and and he was putting people in charge that, you know, kind of like. Um, what are they like in the World War II? They had these 60 day wonders where they enlisted men would be put into a two month program to become a, a officer. And then they were leading troops into battle with that, mm -hmm. you know, after just such a short time. And so, of course, there were a lot of casualties because of that, but it was a necessity of the time, we could say. So, mm -hmm. Prabhupada had that necessity, you know, he had, he knew he had a short amount of time, he'd already had heart attacks, and he, you know, he knew his health was fit, was failing, and he, he, he needed to put things in place so that his movement could go on in his absence, and, and I think, you know, in that, you know, he, he had to, whatever Krishna sent him, he had to use that, so uh -huh. we had some pretty, um, you know, not very, spiritually advanced and not very materially it, um, savvy. They, you know, the leaders that were leading, you know, the big projects. And so there were a lot of mistakes made in those early days. And, and the girl cool, I mean, I, you know, to this, you know, the devotee that made the comment, you know, I sent my son to a girl cool also when he was <clears throat> five years old, but I was, I was in a little bit of the second wave of the Gurukuls and, and the Gurukul that he went to was a very small um, Gurukul in, in Baltimore run by uh, Mandrani, who was just, she's just a saint. I mean, just an amazing woman and devotee. And <clears throat> I'm, you know, I'm actually very grateful for his experience and and it was you know it was hard in the sense that he was separated from from his family but we did move to baltimore so we could spend <clears throat> weekends with him and 
And then at eight years old, we brought him home because um, she started having a day school. So we thought, well, that would be ideal, which really is ideal. And that's what we see in the schools that are here in Alachua. It's a day school and the children are thriving in that. And I think the, the days of sending kids off to Gurukul, I think that's, I mean, there are still, you know, in Mayapur and Vrindavan, those Gurukuls, which are boarding schools are still operating. But I think it was, you know, I, I understand in theory how that could be a good thing, but in practice, mm -hmm. you know, we have to, we have to, to see the, the, the um, results from, from how it all played out. And, and I'm, yeah. And I, and I, I'm so sorry for some of the, you know, the children of that first generation of children who, who were really, so many of them were abused and, um, and just, you know, just missed and, and neglected and, and mistreated and never want to see that being replayed out. But at the same time, I know Krishna has a, a very um, soft heart and those devotees, um, you know, Krishna's taking care of them. And I see, you know, I, I, I counsel some of those, those, those now they're in their middle, middle aged devotees. And, you know, they've, you know, they, a lot of them are making peace with their past and, um, and taking, you know, being able to extract the Krishna consciousness that they were given. And so you see that the full circle of that coming and, yeah, I mean, we were we were part of a pioneer generation, um, and that's always going to be, you know, there's going to be a lot of, yeah, a lot of casualties, and um, but I I I know that you know Krishna will carry what all these you know these these children went through, carry what they they lack, and help them in as they go forward in their their spiritual life and into the future. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for sharing a little bit of your testimony and, and giving, yeah. yeah, trying to see everything from a bigger picture, so to say, because in situations like this, where especially where abuse is going on, even sometimes not with bad intentions, so to say, but just out of naivety or out, as you mentioned, of, of lack of certain skills that will build upon time. So it's it's always healthy and healing to keep bigger pictures and try to be as empathic as possible and and acknowledge the things with discernment, of course, and trying to <laughs> redeem the past in the present moment, but also, yeah, put everything on the scale, be compassionate, empathic, see bigger pictures and try to take a stance that allows us to move forward, hopefully without resentfulness and, and so on. So you were mentioning about your your counseling couples and, and and it came to my mind the question like if there is any of course without entering to any specific details and names and cases but if, which are like the main issues that are brought to you by couples who are devotees practitioners that i think most of the ones you counsel are so just to have a, a little bit of a side gaze not to have a mm -hmm. of what's the not the, the most pervading uh situations that they find they need to, to bring to the table, so to say. Yeah, yeah. 
It's a, it's that, you know, it's um, it, that question just made me pause a little bit because I'm thinking, you know, there's such a variety of problems within mm. the girl ashram that it's like, we might think, oh, it's one, one major thing. Um, the top five you can do, you can do. <laughs> yeah. Well, certainly that the sexual um, compatibility is, is a big one. And it, and that's, 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 that's a big topic. It's yeah, not, that, that's, it's, why I, that's why I chose to make my very first episode <laughs> on that topic. <laughs> yes. Uh, and of course, we can make a whole season on that topic, but at least I tried to make that point. Okay, let's begin with this one because this is a huge topic. Yeah, it really is. And I appreciated Radhamadava, um, Radhamadava, right? Was mm -hmm. the, yeah, his, yeah. his presentation and, um, and I, you know, I, I I really appreciate the idea of seeing the sacredness in all aspects of mm -hmm. intimacy, all, all all aspects of intimacy as being sacred. And if we mm -hmm. could elevate <clears throat> physical intimacy into the sacred realm, I think you know that would be a huge help you know that if we were seeing it as actually a service to the relationship service to the because strengthening the bond and 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 doing it in a conscious way where we really um yeah cherish each other in a and yeah, cherishing one another and not seeing each other as sense objects for our own gratification and so, which is sorry to interrupt, but which I came to my mind that, yeah, of course, that's how it should be, but that's so difficult for many. And I'm not justifying anything here, but just because to have a, a physical intimacy, so to say, in, in a sacred way, you are basically invited to cultivate intimacy not only on a physical level, but with your own emotions, exactly the emotion of the other person. <clears throat> And that requires lots of vulnerability and lots of nakedness, not only in a physical sense, of course. And most of us are terrified about that. So. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. I was, Radhamadava, you know, 17 years, he was in the, in the Brahmachari ashram. You know, his purity is, you know, comes across and his, you know, his dedication and his, you know, his, his just, he just imbibes this, this purity about him. So when you have devotees that are on a higher level like that, then everything that they do can be in that, that proper consciousness. Mm -hmm. And, and I think, you know, what we're dealing with mostly are, you know, devotees in the stage of, you know, anartanavritti. Um, and, yeah, so 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 much of of what we're doing is, you know, we're we're going through our 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 healing our wounds from the past with each other and, and confronting, you know, our dark side, our shadow side, and and having to, um, you know, really take a good look at all of our our baggage, so to speak. So this is, I guess, this is really the overarching thing that I see in in couples counseling is. You know, we all bring our little red wagons full of, you know, our our unresolved issues from the past, and mm -hmm. um, 
And we marry, we do marry our unresolved issues. I mean, it's, it's uncanny. I mean, even, even Freud said, you know, that, that there, you know, he called it the repetition compulsion. We call it karma, but the idea that you gravitate towards something from your past. And, and even though, you know, you, you think, oh, God, you came from an alcoholic family. I'm never going to marry an alcoholic, but somehow unconsciously you're drawn towards that. It's like unfinished business. And so. <clears throat> How many times those unresolved issues may take the form of, of sexual expression toward other person, but in a totally unresolved, from a totally exactly. unresolved place. So you objectify the person, you exploit yeah. the person, you are aggressive, you are not sensitive enough, uh, exactly. and so on and so forth. So that's not, of course, the, sec the sacred sexuality we, we have been talking about. <laughs> exactly. And, that, and, and that's all, you because know. Sometimes, sorry, sometimes people would say, okay, you are talking about, having easy sex or something. But what we are talking is, no, this is the most challenging and difficult way of having sex because it entails you have to deal with your own stuff to heal your heart, to go to the shed and find all the unconscious for properly sexual, int proper intimacy to be happening. So that's way more challenging. That's not cheap. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's way more rewarding as well, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, for couples to... You know, they, you know, the, so many of our, the early couples had, I mean, they, in the very beginning, couples didn't even speak to each other till the day they were getting married. Now that's just insane. Yeah, when I heard that one, I almost <laughs> fell to my, to my, from it's, a chair. Yeah. They didn't yeah. know the name of each other sometimes. And I, I heard that one once that, that the girl was talking to her mom and say, mom, I'm getting married, like whatever, next weekend. <laughs> And, and the mother, oh, really? Well, she was like, oh, what's the name of your husband? And she was like, wait a minute, what's your name? <laughs> she was like, oh. I, I, I cannot think what the mother was thinking at that moment. Hopefully she survived a heart attack at that point. Yeah, that was too much. Yeah, it was just, <clears throat> I mean, my first marriage, I did have some association for two months for about 45 minutes every night, drinking hot milk and reading Krishna books. So I can't say we knew each other very well. <laughs> they were big surprises. <laughs> My God. My God. We laugh, not, not in, so we don't cry, actually. So we actually, cry in profuse tears, yeah. And every sing, every I can say every single one of the marriages that were kind of, put together during my my time in the ashram, none of them are together anymore, none. So 100% divorce rate and from that early time, you know. Yeah, so. yeah I remember Radha Mother mentioned something like that as well. The statistics are like brutal, so to say. It's too, too clear that it was a failure. So yeah, Palena Farishite, you had, you judged the tree for the fruit, so it, as as romantic and idealized as it sounds, but the culture of this or that, arranged marriage or being strict and so on and so forth. We need to recalibrate how we are approaching because the results are disastrous, basically. 
Well, I would say we we were far, far cry from Vedic marriages because in a Vedic marriage, yeah, 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 they yeah. had the astrology, the charts yeah, were yeah. done, the fam fam families yeah. knew each other, they were of the same gotra. You know, there was a lot of a lot of care taken into putting people together, yeah. and and I think, mm. you know, that that has some merit to it. Um, love oh, when, I say there, when I say very marriage was how it was presented, no, yeah, how it was presented, so, so called actually, but it was yeah, exactly, in. yeah, how it actually had, was, yeah, translated into our early day culture, hmm. yeah. So, any other issue that also you, you find from the couples that you are counseling, apart from the yeah, I would say, dynamics, you know, say? The, the roles, you know, roles in marriage. It's, you know, and I don't think this is just from a, from a devotee standpoint. I think this is probably in the secular world just the same of, you know, even though women have, you know, gone into the workplace and they have, you know, become just as qualified as men to earn in earnings, um, still there is this feeling and women, and a lot of times women put it on themselves. It's like, I still have to do it all at home. I have mm. to cook, I have to clean, I have to take care of the kids and I have to work a full-time job. Mm. And then there's a lot of resentment in that area. And yeah, sometimes the men expect it too because that's what they saw their mothers do. And mm. so they, so this, this does come up as one of the, the, the issues of, you know, roles and, and feeling like, there's an equal distribution of mm. shared responsibilities within the home. Mm. How much do you find situations where men are, well, you already are telling about that, where they are not very taking full responsibility in their, in the, in their part of the relationship. And, and I imagine lots of situations where also men have way more difficulty in, in, in contacting their emotions and, and contacting their wife's emotions and, an opening to their feminine side, so to say. No? Yeah, that's I don't know yeah. How much of a highlight or a downlight that is also. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's a that's a big one. Thank you, Maharaj. It's, is yeah, women are are wanting much more than ever before emotional intimacy, mm -hmm. and um, men. Yeah, men are from you know we know that that's you know the. The um, from very early on, men are told, you know, little boys don't cry, you know, you know, just suck it up, you know, <laughs> just, you know, that, that it's so ingrained. And you, and I, I see it so much. I remember my brother and I were at the beach years ago with his, his little boy who was like two and he was going into the water and putting his toes in and then running back. And my brother was saying, don't be a wimp. Stop being such a wimp. Get your, get your butt in there. Mm. And I'm like, I was so shocked, you know, <laughs> it's like my brother yeah. was you know, a professional wow. person. He was a doctor. He was, okay. and I'm like, what are you doing? Where did, you know, where did you get that from? And did you, is that how you, you know, were you, is that the way dad talked to you? And, yeah, probably he's just extending the same pattern he himself received, or even he may be trying to give a better pattern, but it still is worse enough. <laughs> yeah, so it's like you know, I I, w I really was surprised because I didn't think I don't think of him as being like a macho, 
mm. you know, man, but yet these are legacy burdens. They're, mm -hmm. they're, they're, you know, these paradigms that we, we just, they're automatically, you know, we've, we've imbibed them and they come yeah. out of us and we transmit them generation after generation until somebody says, Hey, stop. This is mm. not healthy. We're not doing this anymore. I'm breaking. I am going to break this cycle. I'm mm. not letting, I'm not letting it go to my children. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so crucial. And I think so many, not only in this particular topic today, but in so many other topics, not only this generation, I will say every generation has the duty of doing that exact same thing of how to say, appreciating the, the legacy received from the previous generations, but also knowing which cycles to break yeah. or to, up to upgrade, if you will. Every generation has that duty to be honoring the elders and the legacy, but also refining and polishing and continuing upgrading. And even if there's something dysfunctional, learning to break the cycle don't be afraid to break the cycle and begin a new one although it may be challenging because it's creating something from sometime from scratch and having opposition and <laughs> being treated yeah. as a betrayer of the tradition or whatever but yeah i think there, there is a particular at least in my personal experience i feel it's in the air so to say that there's the need for or something of that, not only this particular topic, but so many others also in our community, learning to to break some vicious cycles and, and, and upgrading our understanding of them. And also, do you think that some, as, as we talked at the beginning, some of the problems and concern from the families are in them in itself the, the, the idea that family life is inferior, or how much do they bring that to the table, or they are at, at present, most of them that you counsel balance enough as to understand we are not entering into a dark well, so to say, we are not that bad or so on and so forth. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, certainly in 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 this community and um, and I counsel I counsel a lot of devotees from um, the UK, interestingly enough. Um, and, you know, that's a huge Grahasta community. And so I think in these big grahasta communities where you have a lot of professional devote you know devotees in professional careers and i i really don't think they're carrying so much of that um mm. that grahasta life is is less than because they're very respected and by the mm. by their communities and in fact they're in charge of the communities as well like the grahastas and um so i think i think that in, in those larger communities, but yet, you know, I, I have a good friend in the Grahas Division team to devotees, Uttama and Parta, who travel, do a lot of traveling and teaching still, and they go to Eastern European countries and, you know, South America, and they go to places that maybe are a little less, you know, uh, they haven't quite caught up to the, to the, uh, mm. the, the, the modern outlook that some devotees have and um Parta was sharing that yeah he went to a, a wedding in in, Bra in Brazil mm -hmm. and the, the the devotees gave uh, the uh, the groom a present and it was a bucket a flashlight and a rope mm -hmm. so you're entering the deep dark well so you oh. need these are the things you need <laughs> 
I was wondering why that gift. Now it was, unfortunately was clear. Oh my gosh. But still so, we have some remnants. So still there. some some and they're seeing they see it a lot actually and and mm -hmm. and, and and sadly and 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 it kind of feels like in Europe that they've always been like maybe you know 20 years behind kind of where you mm. know the United States is with their Krishna consciousness maybe for different reasons but so they're they're a little behind on their where they're at with it but yeah there's still a lot of the um yeah. misogynistic you know attitudes and um and just yeah, that women are less than. That's where mm. it starts, you know. Mm. Is that women are less than, and then you know, if you if you don't value your wife, then you know, and then the kid, you know, it's just it's a whole yeah snowball. Yeah. No yeah, 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 yeah. And just to clarify, because this expression, the dark well, deep dark well of family life, that's in the Bhagavatam, but it's not referring to Grihastha Ashram. Exactly. No, it's referring to a married life but which is totally selfish exploitative with full of ulterior motives and separate agenda so that's the deep dark well of family life that's not grihasta ashram the boat is supposed to enter grihasta as we say ashram because yeah. also as i mentioned you can be a monastic and, and you have very similar like very similar risks in, in another way in, in its own way you can be a, a monastic and fall into so many other situations and also you can you have the deep dark well of monastic life <laughs> now yeah. it's not only reserved for family life mm -hmm. uh, and just an idea that comes to me because again if family life is so ugly or so bad as some people may think well we should be aware that we as Gaudiya Vaishnavas our ultimate goal in Vrindavan and Nityanavati in both cases it will be family life won't be you won't be a monastic in the Lila so if you over-idealize monasticism that much, that may prevent you mm. from attaining that ultimate goal in which you won't be a monastic. Mm. <laughs> so, so we better don't get too attached to our saffron cloth. No, I'm saying that for myself. Because again, if we overemphasize ashram, barn ashram considerations above bhakti, that, that goes against the very definition of bhakti we follow, which is, the one that Rupa Goswami gives, where bhakti is not mixed with these ashram considerations. It's not that depending your ashram, you are higher or lower. That's that's a, rel a deviated, distorted conception of bhakti that we will be having because, again, the scriptures show you can practice bhakti, in the forest, at home, mm -hmm. About and say you can keep your social position and engage in bhakti. I, I always, always comes to my mind when Krishna is showing the Brajavasis their next life, and all the Brajavasis are like, okay, what? They're already wanting something, and, for, and, and, and fortunately, they mm -hmm. see that. So Krishna shows that their next life will be exactly what they are doing in the present life, which is with their house, with their family, with their cows, with their attachments with Krishna in the center. And they are just in ecstasy celebrating. I mean, they didn't want to see themselves as sannyasis or monastics or something like that. Yeah. So just further pounding this post in case some doubt remaining here and there. So something that, that comes to mind, Archon Sita, I don't know if you want to go to that place, but also I'm, we are talking about Grihastashana, of course, 
many devotees may begin before Gyuhastarsham being brahmacharis for some time and eventually monastics and eventually feeling the call, mm -hmm. the need, the, the, the nature to, to embrace Gyuhastarsham or even, let's put it, not extreme, but in a, a little bit more nuanced, some devotees may even accept the order of sannyas and eventually realize there was too much. At least that happened a lot during Prabhupada's times and the years mm -hmm. that followed. Again, lots of new practitioners, young. Uh, I, I know that nowadays some uh, some cautions are there in terms of okay, take some time for that. I remember my I remember myself. I was being told to that I could accept sannyas since I was like 20, 21 years old, <laughs> and I felt the call. I felt the invitation. I, I feel the nature to do that. I felt the nature to do that. But a friend of mine told me you can better wait ten years and see if you still are with that idea in mind. So I I like the idea. So my point is <clears throat> transitioning into a, an ashram. No, in this case, into Grihastha Ashram. And I think that's an important thing because sometimes there are not too much support and proper accompaniment in transitional periods, which for mm -hmm. me are are as important as the permanent stages in themselves. No? Yeah. Because in those transitions, some transition can last for years. It can be not just a weekend. So, so sometimes I feel we lack certain, even rites of passage. We were doing some talks with Jai Jagannath recently about that, how sometimes if you were brahmachari, to give an example, and eventually you're entering Grihastha Ashram, it's it's healthy to make some ritual or rites of passage in which you are letting go of that previous identity and embracing a new one and, and bidding farewell to that monastic template with gratefulness and, 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 and love. And, and the community is acknowledging that and it's thanking you for that and it's inviting you to enter this new chapter, whatever. Sometimes a ritual may help to, mm -hmm. to symbolize that or whatever it may form it may take. But I think I think it's important also this transition period and the accompany and the support in that. So I don't know what even in the Shastra, some ashram is mentioned called Shnataka Ashram. Mm -hmm. Mahabharat comes this term, Shnataka, which means the transition classically speaking from this student being in a guru cool with the guru traditionally in India and before getting married and started his married life this particular threshold liminal space transition is called Snataka Ashram, it's another ashram so to say mm. you know, still, is, still we need an ashram in those transitions, that's the point, still we need a shelter when we are passing from one shelter to the other, from Brahmachari Ashram to Grihastha mm. Ashram, there's an in-between shelter but how much of a shelter uh, we are providing in those particular transitions. So I, I'd like to hear some thoughts about that from you also. Yeah, a lot, some different points were coming to mind. Yeah. Um, one is that I think it's wonderful when devotees have the opportunity to start off in a brahmachari, brahmachrini kind of ashram situation where they get... <clears throat> The kind of training of, you know, getting up early in the morning and being able to have a steady practice and, and just yet living bhakti in, in, a, in, in every way, you know, that immersion experience that um, we all had in the beginning. <clears throat> and, and I have just, you know, been so grateful that I, I was able to do that because it, 
as a, you know, in Grahasta life, I was able to continue to have that kind of stability in my practice and be able to. So, so that's one thing that I just the value of having that monastic kind of um, experience. Um, secondly, is as far as transitions go, yeah, I, I, I it was, I remember you know, the transition for men, it was like, they I'm asking kind of, because I'm asking yeah. because I'm sure you have gone through that not only yourself but in counseling couples who may already be married officially, but haven't done the proper transition. So they are still not fully there, as you mentioned before. Yeah. Yeah, because suddenly a man, a devotee would show up in white and Mongol Arctic mm. after you know they were in saffron for years, and then one day they're just in white, and everybody's like. <clears throat> You yeah. know, that was kind of the reaction was like snickering and, mm. oh, you know, pointing, mm. you know. So it was not not a great way to transition, you know, somebody. And I think, yeah, had there been more of a, you know, have, the whole community <clears throat> should have come together and, and you know, said, this is, you know, like, like, like you were saying, write a passage and something beautiful and, and, you know, that this is the next stage because I mean, that was the way it was in, in Vedic times, right? That they would, you know, brahmacharya to 25 and then it was just a natural ex mm -hmm. expectation that you would go on into grahasta life and then go into vanaprast and sannyas later on in life, kind of following the lead of, of the human design, our mm -hmm. physical bodies. You know? mm -hmm. So, um, I, you know, one thing I am I'm not exactly as far as the actual transition, but yeah, something where the whole community would be involved and it would be a celebration and it would be, um, yeah, that I think that would help, you know, and everybody giving prayers and blessings to the to the couple, um, which of I mean, course, to, not to the couple, but if the you know yeah. to that devotee and and praying for their success in their in their new endeavor and and just really yeah making it something where it would to bring it just to build community i mean that's i think so much what has been lacking is like it's all like this individualism kind of attitude pervading our our communities rather than a collective and we and an us and a, and we're we're in this together it's mm -hmm. you know this individualistic kind of mentality of us you know me against everybody else mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. um so yeah. yeah but but of course for that to happen that blessings and that support first we need to uh, get rid of this idea that Entering Grihastha Ashram is bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because again, it, there is a sequence there. So if you still hold that misconception, you won't feel like celebrating that. So again, for many, it's shameful and there's lots of guilt and they will feel I'm like being demoted here. Uh, so nobody's celebrating. Everyone is judging or who knows what. Uh, and that even especially applies again. I have some friends and people I know who had accepted the order of sannyas with good intention, but without thinking or giving themselves too much time to, to test if that's actually something sustainable for them. And eventually they realize it's not sustainable. And at least I appreciate they are 
uh, honest enough to recognize that and, and leave the situation instead of continuing externally as a sannyasi while in, in the background doing some other stuff, which has happened as well. And, and of course, I know that may be a more delicate chap situation. The sannyasi journal is more like of a public figure or a leader. And, but at the same time, I think we need to heal that chapter and, 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 and non, do not stigmatize someone who, with good intention, tried to do their best and somehow found, this is not my ashram. <laughs> mm. and, 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 and I know that scriptures will use heavy, heavy terms like bantasi, you are eating your own vomit and so on. But <laughs> it's important, I think, to, to understand the gist of that. Okay, you, ac you rejected something, you are accepting it back. But there is a place to do that from a, from a sincere, healing, healthy place as well. Uh, and you can continue progressing again, because going back to the teaching, it's not that you we have to be a sannyasi to attain perfection. So if you were a sannyasi and you left sannyas in a healthy, sincere way, there is place for you to attain perfection. It's not that no, in this lifetime, no, you have to wait another one so you accept sannyas and you can sustain that. I, no, so I don't think that's that's a healthy way to think that, about that. And in that connection, I remember we had a, a talk with the two of us in Alachua a few. I don't know, a month ago, I don't recall how so much traveling now, but I was in Alachua like a month ago, I would say. And we were talking at one point in, in, in the table, I remember, <clears throat> in connection to this idea of bows and the lack of capacities to sustain some bows mm. and how many, most of the devotees will be in a stage called Anishtita Bhajana Kriya, which means un, lack of stability, unsteadiness in bhakti. And one of the symptoms of that, at least according to Vishwanatha is Niyama Akshama, which means lack of capacity to sustain one's bows. But at the same time, we are accepting so many bows, being in a stage where one of the features is you won't be able to sustain some bows. So we were talking about the importance of, of invoking bows that are sustainable, basically. Yeah. And that will depend on each individual person, no, not necessarily like a, one single formula, universal bow, that everything has to follow to be initiated or to be a devotee, and if not, sorry. So I don't know if you want to add some thoughts in that connection. Yeah, well, that was a that was an interesting conversation that we had for sure. And you know, kind of seeing that devotees are taking vows, like especially you know, no illicit sex, um, and taking that vow at you know, sometimes they're, they're very young when they take that vow and young spiritually and, and, uh, you know, their physical yeah. body. And so they really don't know what their futures, you know, how their future is going to unfold. And so then they hit a time where it's, that's, you know, where, where they're breaking that vow. And, and then, yeah, there's a lot of guilt and shame around not being able to to follow and then you know and then and and what what i i think is really if if devotees could have if devotees are able to have someone that they can go to and say hey i'm having a problem with this mm -hmm. um can you you know help me and in the past unfortunately one thing that devotees aren't good at and and hopefully now that's changing but it's in the area of confidentiality. Mm. So if a devotee went and revealed his mind and confidence to someone in, in, in his community or in his ashram, that 
information would get leaked out very, you know, quickly. Mm. And, and so, you know, devotees left. I mean, there, there, I, I remember the case with, I think it was one temple president in Chicago or anyway, he was having a hard time and he revealed his mind and it did go all over. And, and Prabhupada was very upset that that had happened, mm -hmm. that, you know, that this devotee had said that he was having difficulties and then it became public mm. um, information. So, yeah, it's a, so, so the question is, should, should we be having devotees take vows that they can't keep or we, or there's a good chance that they're not going to be able to keep or, and they will fake that they are continuing keeping it because the status yeah. quo is like you have to do this in order to be a devotee. That's for me. That's the main problem. Is that's the main problem. Why why they problem. behave like that? Why they accept things that they know? Sometimes they know they won't be following, but nonetheless they accept them. Or if they try to follow and they break, they fake it. So the main problem for me is why they behave like that, and probably because they receive the message. Unless you follow these vows, you cannot be a devotee, basically. You are not part. You cannot belong. Yeah, and of course, can. all of us want to belong. But they end up not belonging, but forcing themselves to fit in by faking, by cheating themselves and others, which is the opposite of what we are supposed to be doing. Exactly. And then it really does affect their progress in bhakti. And, and yeah, and you become more image conscious, and that becomes more important to you than than your actual spiritual advancement. And that's that's mm -hmm. really the, the travesty. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I personally, I'm of the idea, of course, not everyone may agree with me, but <laughs> that one should accept vows in a very individual way that one can sustain whenever one is accepting a guru and taking initiation on one commitment or another, one should there shouldn't be just one single universal formula that everyone is expected to follow in the exact same way because not everyone is in the exact same person in the exact same stage. So it's for me, I mean, I can understand why that was established as such in some societies. Okay, this seems to be working, let's continue. But in time, I think it has to become more nuanced and, and personalized because if not, there is a form that may be a form of impersonalism. Yeah, I was just <laughs> going to say that. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, rad that's so, that's radical personalism. Is giving, you know, treating everybody like an individual. It's not one size fits all. Yeah, and I think, yeah. and and you know, and some of that is, you know, when you have a big organization, it's kind of more for, you know, just having things run smoothly that you you do that you don't have yeah. the the resources and the and the and the people power to to be able to be so individual and personal uh -huh. but that's what's uh -huh. needed i mean the village guru yeah. system i love you know the idea of that a small you know group of people under a guru and living together and you know I, I, that's beautiful mm -hmm. i um and i guess you know trying to create that somewhat with the mentor system that you know i know radhanaswami has brought into practice mm -hmm. and some other devotees i think that's you know uh trying to 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 approximate that village guru model 
which I think is very beautiful. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about that also in, in one, I think my second lecture I gave in the Michigan retreat on Guru Tattva about different models of the guru-disciple relationship that, that may be required nowadays. And of course, we are not saying with this, go back to the village life and live with your guru in the exact same way that this was done thousands of years ago. It may not happen and work for most, but as you mentioned, how to reproduce this dynamic of intimacy and smaller groups. While the big groups and the big institutions remain there, I'm not saying they are not necessary and the structures are there and the more abstract generic formulas are there to somehow keep establish some order, but at the same time in time, we have to look back and revise the fruits of that and the necessity, at least I personally agree with you on, on, on making it more personal, more specific, more localized, more intimate, uh, and more realistic and more human basically to each particular person's unique situation and receive that uh, specified guidance. I mean, that, that gives so much nourishment and so much enthusiasm uh, as to really, yeah, sir, ascertain who you are. I mean, not only who you are ultimately in your service to, to Krishna, but who you are as a human being, what's your nature, what's your your needs as, as your the particular class you belong to. No? Mm-hmm. So even on a psychological, mm-hmm. emotional level, we need to ascertain which is my species, not only human <laughs> species, but and this brings to my mind, if if you allow me to to invoke this point, the, the idea of the enneagram. Mm-hmm. Mm. Of course, it's a whole different episode. <laughs> but but I like to touch upon that for a minute because you work with the enneagram uh, for years in your counseling couples and so on, and and it has quite connected to this idea of getting to know who we are in terms of our personality and nature and the importance of understanding. People are different. They are not all always the same, and the same advice works for everyone in the same way. So I don't know if you want to share a few words and also introduce the audience briefly to what's the Enneagram because they may not know and, and, and how it had been your experience in, in that connection. Yeah, well, Atmanam Manyate Jagat, that we generally judge uh-huh. other people according to a ourselves so if i would have done or said this that would mean this to me so it must mean the same to you how and how many it, times i've heard that thing you did yeah. that Marash. i would have done reacted differently and to begin with you don't know if the person you because the person is saying that without being in the situation exactly. but even if it would have been differently that doesn't mean better or worse it's just different yeah so so <laughs> it's you know I, getting to to have this sense of curiosity about people instead of you know right away making assumptions and judging people according to how we would do something or how we would feel if we were in that situation mm-hmm. so the enneagram is it's a it's a it's a personality topography that's very it's it's an amazing system um and you know different theories where it came from originally um i heard from the desert fathers fathers. yeah yeah that's one of the Mm -hmm. ideas that it came from the desert fathers and um has you know it's it's not only what it basically does is it shows us the conditioning that we're in 
and we're trapped inside of our conditioning like a, like a cell. And the Enneagram is actually giving us the key to understand how we can get out of the traps of our ego. Basically, we have all these ego tra- trips and, and our, our stories and our, um, you know, and how we can, you know, here's the key, because each type has certain, you know, ways of behaving and acting that are, are really not good strategies for, for, for getting what, you know, for transcending. And ultimately, it's a very spiritual um, system that helps us to elevate our consciousness through the different levels of our type. It's not something you just do in once. It's a, it's a lifelong practice along with bhakti. I mean, bhakti, um, it, it's almost like if you're practicing bhakti and you, you're, you're very serious about your practices and you have cleared away a lot of your anartas, you actually see yourself going up these levels that they have in the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. They, it correlates kind of with stages of development in bhakti. It's very interesting. Hmm. Interesting. So what has been your experience in working with that system with devotees and counseling couples? And It's very, it's been so helpful. It's like... Um, you can cut through a lot by kind of when you first meet a couple or meet an individual in counseling and you can, you have a feel for a sense, the energy that, you know, each type emits from a person, you know, and so you have, gives you a whole conceptual orientation of this person that really helps you to know what direction to go as far as what what their needs are, what their motivations are, um, and what what things that will really help them in progressing both in their emotional and spiritual life. Hmm. So it's been, yeah, it's been an amazing tool. Wow. Let, let's give the audience a taste of that, a brief example of this. So... According to Arjuna City, Swami Padmanabha is a nine type with a one wing. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah, and of course, when you described to me the different types and all that, I felt, yeah, of course, that yeah, that's me. And, and she knows me, so of course she can share the diagnosis accurately. <laughs> so, so which is the, the ego trap that characterizes my, my type, so to say? Well, it's, you know, the, the remind, nine... me, remind me because I can easily forget that I, I may be already in that trap back again for sure. Yeah. Well, let's see. Yeah. The, the nine is the peacemaker, harmonizer, um, prep, uh, and, and just there's a lot of aspects to the nine. And, and again, levels of health. But the, the nines get tripped up in, Avoiding conflict, they're very conflict avoidant, which I don't see that so much in you. I I have seen that you're so that I think you've kind of gone above that aspect of your time. Well, probably I'm not a nine at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you, you healthy nines are very good at dealing with conflict, but um, an average range. It's it's nines will be very good at checking out dissociating a little bit and um, mm. not wanting to be, you know, 
their peace. Peace is there, is what they, they want more than anything. And so whatever to keep their inner peace, they'll, they'll go to great lengths. And that could mean, yeah, checking, you know, dissociation I see a lot with, you know, more average to unhealthy nines. They, they, they really go somewhere else, check out completely. Mm-hmm. Um, anger. I mean, that's, you know, nines will, will repress their anger because they don't want to, you know, cause conflict. So a lot of times they'll hold on to that anger and it will erupt at some point. My, my husband was a nine mm-hmm. and um, I only saw him get angry a couple of times in our marriage. And um, that was intense. It was Mount Vesuvius <laughs> going off. <laughs> It was it was intense. Mm. So um, it's like, wow, now I understand what the Enneagram is talking about, this ruthless yeah. anger thing. Mm. Hmm. So le- let me contrast that to give the, pe- the, the, the audience a little bit of a contrast. Let's share, share a few words of your own numbers so they can see like how an example of two, two numbers, two perspectives, so they can realize how how different a person can be and how different they're their foundational yeah. needs can be and how important it is to address each person because being, being aware of that so we are addressing mm. the actual correct need and not trying to help them from the wrong place, even with good intention, yeah. I had no idea we were going to talk about the Enneagram. I had no idea either. But <laughs> this is so exciting. <laughs> yeah, so my type is a two with a three wing. And so the two is the helper. That's the, you know, the nine is peacemaker, two is the helper. Twos are um, notorious for being the ones to um, take on, you know, a lot of caretaking roles for people. And they make good counselors. They they have a, a, a real aptitude for attunement with people. They can real attitude for what? Sorry, uh, they have the ability to attune, attune Attune. people. So it's attunement is like a real gift of the two. Um, Hmm. The trap of the two is that they um, they want you know their their desire to so strong to be loved, and they think that the way to get love is I have to all do what you know just never say no serve you Mm. relentlessly yeah and if i'm and if i and and if i don't do that then you'll withdraw love from me so twos will overextend Mm. themselves and then they become resentful and they can become martyr like because they're not Mm. getting their needs met so for for twos learning the word no is a huge part of their progress is to be able to set appropriate boundaries with themselves and with others and hmm. um, and not overextend themselves. And then I have that three wing, which is image, the, the image conscious driven. So I, you know, that gives me that, you know, I, in, in my, in my youth, you know, was very driven kind of person and, you know, had to, in my yearbook, I have more pictures of uh, than anybody else in the yearbook because I was part of everything. You know, I couldn't just be part of one thing. I being a two and being a three wing, 
you know, I had to be involved in everything I had to be, you know, and, and that was pretty pathetic because, you know, I brought that into Krishna consciousness and, and Krishna had to to really uh, sit on me for some, some years to get that, that passionate kind of energy out of me. Um, and, and I've, I've really worked on that a lot, come a long way in, in, in not being driven. And I have some very yeah. dear, dear friends that are threes. That's their, their primary type. And they're very driven. And mm. Krishna, see that Krishna has done similar things with health issues, oftentimes seem to be with Krishna's way of dealing with that energy to kind of slow us down and get us mm. to go more internal and... Mm. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you for sharing. And again, yeah, my intention in asking about two examples of numbers, you and me in this case, is more to give this idea of people are have a very different <laughs> cosmovision and paradigm, even though we are all spiritual souls and we are all devotees and we have so many things in common. Also, we are so different and unique. So if we don't, again, if we don't put on the table those differences, that's another way of impersonalism. Yeah. So for me, in this case, the Enneagram is very much a radically personal tool to, to really address each case. And of course, with this, I'm not saying whomever is a two with a three wing or whatever is exactly the same person. Inside that, everyone is an individual. We are not boxing people in numbers. <laughs> But, but the importance of yeah, relating with one another, understanding each one filters reality through a certain paradigm. And, and it's important to, to bear that in mind for, for, for a proper relationship, for a successful interaction, and, and not just expecting, as you mentioned, the universal formula will work for everyone in the same way. That's pretty impersonal and, and what to speak. Making assumptions and judgments and projecting, as you quoted, this famous sutra, Atma Bam Manjate Jagat. How I see the world, I, su- I assume everyone is seeing in the same way. That's a recipe for, uh, uh, as Dira to say recently, a festival of misery. <laughs> <laughs> so that's an open invitation for a festival of misery. Everyone is seeing and feeling what, I, what I'm seeing and feeling. So that's so self centered. So brutally animalistic insensitive yeah uh, even without bad intention but just to see reality as everything is seen and feeling what i'm seeing and feeling that's basically you have become god suddenly and everyone has to revolve around your experience so it's embarrassing to acknowledge that but i think <laughs> tools like uh, enneagram help to 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 be humbled by that to realize oh reality can be perceived in so many other different ways than the one i'm I think it's the only way, you know, so, so yeah. I think it's simple. It sounds simple. I remember when I saw my, one of my first contacts with the Enneagram is a series of DVDs you shared with me years ago from Richard Rohr talking on that. And I remember a few months ago, we also watched another interesting series of lectures with him and which was Ben Ross, which was Russ, Russ Hudson, Russ Hudson, sorry, one of yeah. the re- writers of the Enneagram book. Uh, and he will say this simple thing that he say, oh, what, what the Enneagram helped me to realize is that people are different. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds simple, but it's like many people doesn't have that insight. People yeah. is unique, different, and we are to relate to each one 
in a very unique personalized way and it's demanding of course it's demanding because you cannot of force impose a, a template universal template of anything on everything and everyone and expect success from that it takes time and investment of life <laughs> to yeah. to treat everyone as a person and, and reciprocate accordingly and, and and as i mentioned in my book one of the negative impetus to write my book was that i was seeing so much impersonalism under the name of personalism because our tradition is radically personal in principle in essence but sometimes it's misrepresented or misconceived in very depersonalized ways so so anyhow i think the enneagram and not only the enneagram but hopefully some of the things we are sharing today yeah are, are reminding yeah. us of what we are supposed to embody as Gaudiya Vaishnavas. <clears throat> yes, yes, that's what, yeah. Hmm. So Arjun City, I don't know, we are, I think we may be reaching... Uh, Our time, I, I would like like to, to I just... I wanted to ask yeah. if, you, if you had anything you may like to share, any concluding points, any wrapping up, whatever you, you wish. Yeah, to. yeah, I think, I, I think I would be... Um, Miss if I didn't bring up this point of for relationships, for successful relationships, everything, you know, it's it's really our suddenness is so so critical. And I really want to 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 say that the couples that become that I that are really, really successful are couples that are doing their personal growth work along with really there's a, 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 a practice of really strong medit you know having some kind of strong spiritual practice every day and and the reason that you know you know there's there's so much research coming out now in the secular world to support mm -hmm. this idea of um, you know they they now they have brain imaging and there's um, Dr. Amen, 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 me, Amen. Right? He does like thousands and thousands of PET scans of people's brains, uh -huh. and one of the things that he he's witnessed is the the very rapid effects of some meditation practice in in actually healing the brain. Because you know he'll show he'll show a picture of the brain before and after, like maybe you know six weeks of doing some kind of meditation, you know, the first one will look like, you know, Swiss cheese with all these holes in it. And then you look at the next brain and it's nice and smooth. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's really amazing actually to see hmm. that uh, there's, there's a, you know, it's actually working on not just, you know, the, the spiritual psychic body, but mm -hmm. also working on, on the yeah. physical body as well. It's re really, really powerful. And I just, you know, I see that, you know, when, when for myself, <laughs> when, when my job is focused, the more focused my job is, the more I'm able to be present in my day. And the more I'm able to have that space between the stimulus and the response, Mm. that Viktor Frankl talks about where your freedom lies within that little space. It makes that space a little wider. And I see when people don't have any practice, 
there's no space. Your reactivity just comes. It's like, you know, it's so quick and it's so fast that you don't even realize that you've just been hijacked by your lower nature. And one of your lower parts has just hijacked your, your, your core self. Mm. So, so yeah. So the, the, I mean, I, I mean, we don't chant for this reason, but it's a byproduct. <laughs> it's a byproduct. We chant for love of God and for bhakti mm. and, and we do it, but there is like, there's so many powerful um, effects of chanting um, that affect our, our everyday life in this dimension um, and can make our lives so much more peaceful and so much more harmonious and mm -hmm. connected. It's just, yeah, it's just, it, it's so important. I, I can't emphasize it enough. Um, so I had to, I had to throw that in there as like the, <laughs> as the final words. <laughs> can you, can you one more time repeat Viktor Frankl's quote, please? Oh, between the stimulus and the response, there is this little space, and in that space lies our freedom. Hmm. Jai. Victor Frankl, key Jai. Jai. Great quote. I mean, it's yeah. personal yeah. growth. Yeah. yeah, and I love Victor Frankl, of course. That's He's such a great author and such a human great being, example. such, a, oh such, God, a, such yeah. an everything, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I really appreciate your 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 concluding point, Archana City, because of course, uh, and and I think I tried to make that clear many times during different episodes. But whenever we are talking about things like enneagram or other things, we are not trying to suggest you can replace your sadhana with with self growth work or this thing or that. But just it's a complement to the most crucial thing, which will be your the daily time you spend trying to connect as deep as possible with, with the divine through your practice and whatever form you're practicing, however quantity you can maintain your vows and so on, as we talked about, but but not not downplaying, not dismissing that watering the root of the tree, so to say. And, and I must say, and you can cover your years if you want Archon Seed at this point, but <laughs> I personally witness how Archon Seed is very serious, Sadaka. Whenever mm -hmm. I go to Alachua, I stay uh, with other devotees at her place. And, and I, I every time in the morning, I mean, I, I confess I have no problem. She, she, I mean, every time I wake up, she's wake, not waking me up, but she's always already chanting her job sometimes for hours. So I really appreciate she's sitting there in front of Sri Sri Radha Gopinath, her beautiful Dev, and chanting, chanting, chanting for a long time, seated there fixed, and not as an external thing, but just you can feel, okay, she's really committed to her. Sadhana, and I can relate how much she, uh, she, I'm talking about you, I don't want to sound like I'm talking about someone else far, how much you are trying to see the, uh, connect those two things, and that's why, you are so so good at, at counseling other people and helping other people because you take so seriously your mm. your spiritual practice on a daily basis. So I appreciate your mentioning that. I mean, mm. it was obvious that it will come from someone like you at the end having to say that because that's so so crucial for you. Uh, mm. And of course, it's not so only crucial for you. And that's only Archonus. It is crucial for her. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's crucial for all of us you now so when we are talking about all the things it's never to to neglect or downplay 
bhakti, but on the contrary, to, to learn how to complement bhakti and how to see how everything has the potential to become bhakti, as Jiva Goswami will say when he talks about Sangha Siddha Bhakti, things that are not inherently bhakti can become such by association with bhakti. So peeling potatoes can become bhakti, taking a shower can become bhakti, doing a podcast hopefully can become bhakti. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, for, but for that to happen, for us to be able to create that sangha, to associate something with the bhakti, first we have to be grounded into what he calls Swarup Siddha Bhakti, which means those activities which are inherently bhakti, like chanting, Sadhu Sangha, studying Bhagavatam, and, and all these main bhakti angas. Mm, so, so anyhow, I, I appreciated that point as a concluding note, which is very, very, very crucial. So I want to thank you for your presence again, Archansin. I will share again one more time for those who connected later the link, for those mm. who would like to, to get to know more about her work and others' work in this circle of bonds that will be free us. Will be bring us the website is Baishnava without H, Baishnava Family Resources.org. So basically, that's the, the link. And Archon City has a lot of articles and videos on this site for those who would like to go through them. And there's also a directory of therapists, right? Archon City mm -hmm. and marriage coaches on this site as well for those who would like to, to share. There is one message here from Brinda Sundari from mm -hmm. Denver. She's saying, I appreciate this conversation and the topics discussed. Thanks to both of you. Uh, and thank you, Brinda Sundari, because also Brinda Sundari will be our next guest. <laughs> so she oh. appeared just on time. Uh, we will be talking with her uh, the following Saturday, August 12th at 10 a.m. EDT time. And wow, somehow the I look forward to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and the topic will be somehow a natural continuation and overflowing of today's topic. We will be talking with Brinda Sundari on transformative communication in Bhakti. Mm, that nice. will be uh, next Saturday. So hopefully we can meet each other there. And that's it. Thank you so much again, Heart and City, for coming. It has been a pleasure. Yes. It has been a blessing for me. So very Likewise. happy to yeah. share with you and extend your, your wisdom and your heart to, to others. So thank you so much to you, and thank you so much to all of you who have been connected today. And see you next weekend. Jai. Hare Krishna. Jai.